tickets are available at tildamelbourne.com. A 3CR supporter. Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doin' Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. First up, we're going to be speaking with Sam Watson, Aboriginal elder and activist from um, Queensland, and specifically Brisbane, and he'll tell you what land he's on when he introduces himself. We'll be speaking with Sam Watson uh, about a number of issues basically about um, heart disease rates going up in Aboriginal children. We'll also speak with him about the recent role that Tony Abbott has been allocated in the federal government, specifically being the Indigenous convoy um, assisting the minister. It's not that clear. And then after that, we'll be speaking with Lucy Honan from the Refugee Action Collective, and we'll be speaking with her about uh, Nauru and what's happened there about thousands being deprived of medical treatment and she'll also give a report back on the recent kids rally that happened on Saturday and we'll probably, if we have time, I'm sure I'll make time to look at the lifetime ban that uh, the Morrison government is trying to put through. But before we actually launch into Sam's interview and I'm looking forward to talking to him because he's always a breath of fresh air We haven't spoken for quite a while. Listeners um, probably recall that we've spoken to him quite extensively over the years. But, uh, you know, just wanted to also quote from Guardian Australia um, on 2GB. Mr Abbott described Nauru as a very pleasant island to be. And, in fact, according to Abbott, um, Nauru has better health care than a lot of regional towns in Australia. And I find that really interesting. So, yeah, I thought I'd mention that. Um, I, I find that very interesting and uh, that's not true, of course. But, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll speak to Sam pretty soon. Um, I, I'm just going to go into a very quick announcement because uh, I, I just need to um, line him up. And you're back with the Doing Time show. <laughs> Hello, Sam. Welcome to the program. Great, how you doing? We've just <laughs> we just had a few technical difficulties there. Um, yeah, the lack of resources at three uh, CR. Hopefully, we'll be able to raise some money for better equipment. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. sorry about that. As the uh, as the great philosopher of the modern day, 
Sometimes you have to would say, "What are you going to do?" Sometimes you have to laugh, don't you? And uh, otherwise, yeah. you go mad. Something when you try to be perfect, you yeah. know, you've you've got these things that happen. It's to break the monotony. Go with it. Go with it. <laughs> go with it. Yeah. It's approximately four oh four, and you're listening to Three CR Community Radio, and um, we've got Sam on the line. It's welcome to the program, Sam. Yeah, and thanks for uh, inviting us on, and uh, g'day to uh, all you mob across the uh, radio land, as it were, and uh, yeah, hope everyone as well, and that uh, we are surviving under the uh, under this appalling bloody uh, political system that we've been thrust into. And uh, really, you look at uh, the federal government, and you think, oh my God, you know, it's, uh, they're a great recipe for uh, for disaster, and they. Uh, they really are an outstanding advertisement for armed revolution and uprising. Absolutely, absolutely. Sam, I'm wondering, could you tell us what land you're from, first of all? Because it's yeah. really important for listeners to know that. Okay. I was born and raised here in a place now called Brisbane, but uh, my grandmother's country is a little bit uh, further southeast of here, and uh, we're, we're Wanjibara people. Our country extends from... Um, place called uh, Beanley across to Mount Jamboree and down to the Border Ranges and that's country of the uh, the pretty face wallaby and uh, the our the senior women in our family have always been keepers of uh, a particular group of songlines that uh, journey from the Border Ranges uh, up through uh, the southeast Queensland area and into the Sunshine Coast so that's our country and on grandfather's side of course were Bowen Basin mob. We uh, belonged to Mount Nebo uh, and around that place where that Adani mob want to put their big new coal mine. But, uh, you know, our mob are going to stop them, of course, one time. Absolutely. It is important for your mob to stop that, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, we've, had, we've had enormous support across the, uh, the broader community and that, again, just... Uh, exemplifies and uh, solidifies the uh, the importance of the, the working partnership that's now developed between the the black political movement and the broader mainstream political struggle because, uh, as they say, you know, uh, united we stand, but divided we fall. So we do need to come together and stand together one time. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's pretty important. So I think um, what we need to concentrate on now, Sam, is I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about the heart disease in Aboriginal children. And you're, you were mentioning off air that um, that rates were going up. That's right. And uh, in in recent weeks, the recent months, uh, senior uh, medical medical people have uh, you know raised the alarm bells because uh, Aboriginal children in, in those so-called remote communities. Uh, are suffering from diseases and conditions that uh, disappeared from the mainstream urban communities years ago, decades ago. Um, and when you see these, these small children um, with very tiny, thin bodies, uh, because they're, they're quite malnourished as well, um, and have the, the you know, age-old diseases uh, and symptoms, um, and you see these little ones having to undertake uh, over-heart surgeries at their age before they're 10th, 12th birthdays. It's uh, it's absolutely appalling. And then you, um, and then our mob, who are you know journalists and camera people as well, go behind the uh, the scenes and have a look at the 
the appalling conditions that our people have to live in in those remote communities. And it's just, uh, it's mind-numbing that uh, these children have to live in places like that. Uh, and, and it goes back to, you know, this uh, right across that broad gamut of uh, from day one of the European invasion of our country, right the way through the 1800s, the 1900s. And even though uh, historians and politicians will come forward and say there have been great improvements that uh, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people were able to take actions before the Industrial Relations Court and, and win the right to, uh, you know, to be paid equal wages. But what, what happened during the uh, 50s, 60s, 70s is that when our people did take actions through the, the upper courts and win the right to be paid uh, equal wages instead of being paid uh, bags of rations, um, the, the white fellas who owned the, the cattle runs and ran the big properties and uh, sold the beef, white fellas didn't pay the equal wages that they were ordered to by the court. The white fellas uh, simply sacked uh, Aboriginal workers and just remove them from those places which were their traditional homeland. So when you win on one hand, when you win the right to, to demand equal wages, uh, the, the ruling class uh, will respond by simply stripping away further rights. So... It's uh, yeah. an ongoing class warfare. Yep. Definitely a class war. And, and in fact, that really adds up historically, doesn't it, to the fact what you're saying then, Sam, is that there's been a lot of atrocities that have happened um, during colonisation and during the frontier wars, which isn't acknowledged at all. That's right. I mean, picked up the uh, weekend papers, to, as we always do, me and Catherine, uh, and... We saw one of one of Australia's uh, best known, uh, you know, live music performers, Troy Casadali, is, is a wonderful, yes. uh, wonderful performer, great, uh, great voice and strong, uh, you know, uh, Aboriginal man, and he tells this incredible story about uh, growing up uh, in his in his country and uh, the way in which his grandmother uh, forbade him and his mob, him and his, you know, the his brothers and sisters, to not go to a certain place in their neighbourhood, not to go to a certain place. And uh, and it wasn't until years later uh, that he was finally told, uh, when he got a bit older, that uh, the reason why the children were, were barred from going into this place was because that was a massacre site. And, you know, there wouldn't be... Every, every Aboriginal community across Australia, every Aboriginal family, uh, would have a truth like that uh, back there in, in the shadows where... And they're not told these things until until they're old enough to be able to process uh, just what happened. So that's right. And and you know that you, you'd know that uh, hundreds, thousands of our people were were slaughtered, masked, hunted down like like uh, animals, uh, like feral pests, and uh, and yet very rarely uh, were any of these murderers, any of these butchers uh, ever ever brought to account. I mean. After the Second World, the atrocities of the Second World War, uh, the you know the global authorities spent decades uh, tracking down the perpetrators of the Nazi Holocaust, uh, and large numbers of those those criminals and butchers uh, yeah. were actually arrested, charged, taken before the courts, and and dealt with. But uh, here in Australia, uh, very few of those people have committed those terrible. Absolutely. No, it's, 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 uh, 
There's a there's a lot of stuff about massacres, and I'd like to talk to you about another show because that'll just take up a whole show, really. But we've only got a couple okay. of minutes left. But yep, so yep. so with the the heart rates of of children, we've, yes. Um, what are some solutions that that we can have put in place to try well, and improve that medical care? Every Australian child should have access to decent potable drinking water. That that's a big start. So mm-hmm. all our children, regardless of where they're growing up, in the back of the back of the APY lands or the middle of Brisbane City or Melbourne. They all need to have access to decent drinking water. All our children need need access to a decent bedroom, a decent bed. Oh, I see. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, decent, and then the kitchen has got to be a fridge full of food, decent food, you know, fruit, veggies, mm. uh, whole grain breads, these sort of things. Kitties need to have uh, access to the proper things so they can conduct their schoolwork. So they come home, they have a, a, a teaching space, a learning space where they can do their homework because education is so critical. It's such, such, such an important part of the, uh, the growing really up process. Is. So that's a big step. So it, and it you need to have the children. I mean, that's that old saying that's been around for a long, long time that it takes a village to raise a child. Well, in our community, in our culture, um, again, you need to involve the elders. I mean, I've, I've been to universities, I've been at colleges and all this sort of gear. Never got my degree, but, well, you know, no drama. I'm not going to lose any sleep over that. But 99% of what I know, I learned from my elders sitting in place like Musgrave Park. You know, didn't learn in Whitefall classrooms. I learned it there, sitting down there with uncles and aunties. It travelled the world and taught me those things I need to know as an Aboriginal man. So these children are fortunate because they have no future in front of them because they can't see any success stories in their own families, in their own communities. They think they just, they've just given up so early. They just don't think they have any hope in life. And, Absolutely. Uh, it's and we a- need to turn that around. We need to engage with them. We need to engage with their parents, their communities. We need to say, no, there, there is a life beyond this that uh, you will succeed. And we need to actually, as I said, um, you've talked about it in the context of history as well, which is important. Now, just very quickly, um, are you able to just quickly comment, because I know this is something you wanted to talk about, about what what you think as, as an Indigenous person in regards to Abbott, um, Tony Abbott having that role um, uh, liaising with Indigenous people? Well, Tony Abbott can take his bike and he can take his red uh, speedos and he'll stick them where the sun don't shine because uh, he was a waste of time as, as a Prime Minister, a waste of time as a politician. Um, I mean, these, these mob down in Canberra, we don't see them up here in places like Brisbane. You don't see them in places like Palm Island or Doomadgee or out on the APY lands or in those 73 designated communities in the Territory. You don't see them, uh, you know, in the, in the real places where... Aboriginal people live and work and battle day to day. So Tony Abbott needs to get out there. If he's going to be the uh, the you know the minister minister's envoy for Aboriginal affairs, he gets that needs to get down to place like Musgrave Park. Uh, there's there's over fifty thousand Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people living and working in Brisbane, yet we have never had a federal minister for Aboriginal affairs visit us here in Brisbane. Since I can't even recall the last That's... time we had a federal politician visit here and find out exactly what the challenges are, because you know we we had a meeting at Musgrave Park this morning simply because uh, at Musgrave Park we're getting large numbers of, of young kiddies 
dropping out of school very early, coming into place like Musco Park, uh, and unfortunately picking up um, really bad habits and messing around with uh, with paint cans and, and petrol and that, those sorts of things. So we need to be have the funds and the resources so that we can stop this now, so that uh, we can save these children from from going on that downward spiral into into further and more more desperate addiction. So. Well, I'm hoping that uh, you know we can we can actually take listeners back to when Tony Abbott said that um, before um, white people came that it was just bush that it was terranalis. But look, we better leave it there, Sam. Um, I'm so happy to have you on, and I'd like to continue this discussion some other time because we do have somebody else on. But thank you so much for coming on the program. We're honoured. Uh, all good, and uh, keep up the good work. Okay, and. Uh, Hope you guys have a great, uh, great Christmas. Thank you very much. Have a good yeah. year. Okay, Bye. talk soon. Bye bye. And that was Sam Watson um, speaking about an, a range of issues in regards to uh, basically genocide and colonisation. It's approximately four seventeen, and we're going to be speaking shortly. We've actually got um, a very special interview, an extra interview coming up with Carmel, um, and she's from the. Centre for Multicultural Youth. She's the CEO there. And we're going to be speaking with her shortly um, in regards to the demonisation of um, um, African youth in terms of um, in terms of gangs. Well, the government thinks that they're, they're actually involved in gangs. So we're going to be speaking with her um, and a little bit about racial profiling. So I'm now going to go into an announcement. As Prime Minister of Australia... I am sorry. On behalf of We're coming live to you from the Aboriginal Ten Embassy in Canberra as part of the Sorry Day Convergence. And here comes Gilla. How you going, Gilla? How's it going, Gab? How's it going, uh, all you listeners down Melbourne? And you're missing a great time up here and uh, a great day. Now you fail to imagine what if it happened to you. Subscribe to your award-winning independent community radio station, bringing you coverage of community issues and events. We need your support. Call 9 419 8377 and subscribe today. We can't face the future now until we face the sorrow. I feel hopeful. I feel grateful. I feel sorry. As an Aboriginal person, let me shake your hand. Thanks very much for being here today. Thank you very much. No worries. And you're back with the Doing Time show. And we're speaking now with um, with Carmel. Hello, Carmel. Welcome to the program. Hello. I'm not quite sure what's what's happened here. As Prime Minister of Australia... You've got to remember, Nanoc's a special day for us, fellas. That's a reminder who we are. Every year for NAIDOC Week, 3CR Community Radio gives voice to our Indigenous brothers and sisters through Beyond the Bars, Australia's only live prison broadcast. I am a black, black man. NAIDOC means a lot to me. It's about identity and also about past and present. NAIDOC means a lot to me for my family and my people. And the people forgetting about our rights. 
You can access audio from current and past Beyond the Bars broadcasts via the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars and either listen to or download audio from Australia's only live prison broadcast. Happy night off. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. Hello, Carmel. Hi, sorry, I'm not sure what happened before. Oh, I don't know you. what's going on today. I think we've got a little gremlin in the studio. <laughs> Carmel, I'm so sorry about that. You're on air. Um, yes, hi. Thank you so much for your patience. Um, it's lovely to have you. I'm Marissa from the Doing Time Show. Um, yep. Now, I'm wondering if you could just introduce yourself first of all and um, just your full title and the organisation you're from. Yes, sure. So I'm the CEO of an organisation called the Centre for Multicultural Youth and we're a statewide not-for-profit NGO that really works with young people, helping to kind of, young people, sorry, from refugee migrant backgrounds and helping them to build their lives in Australia. Lovely. Look, that, that's, that's really fantastic. And I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about some of the work that you do there with them, Carmel. Look, we do a diversity of work with young people. We do everything from counselling and um, support work with young people, sort of um, early intervention and homelessness, to really doing a whole lot of policy and research work and do a fair bit of work which probably relates to the issue I'm talking to you today about is working with young people who really wanting to give them voice about what's going on in the community and have spent a lot of time over the last four or five years really working with the um, African and particularly South Sudanese community in Melbourne around issues of crime. Fantastic. On our show, we actually cover a lot of topics in regards to racial profiling and police powers. And, and And one of the things that we look at quite closely here is covering the violations of human rights and also looking at um, discrimination and demonisation of African youths um, in particular. One of the things is that the the federal government seems to be demonising young people and thinking that they're all in gangs and committing crimes. Can you comment on that? Look, absolutely. Look, this issue, unfortunately, has got far too, too much media coverage that is um, either ill-informed, misinformed or usually completely inaccurate. Um, I also am on the Youth Parole Board in Victoria, so fully aware of the kinds of issues around, um, you know, young people involved in crime. Yep. And that, yes, you know, there are really groups of um, South Sudanese amongst many other diverse group, cultural diverse groups of young people engaging in, you know, very brazen and, you know, kinds of crimes you haven't seen before. But the kind of profile they've got for committing those crimes is way out of whack to the kind of numbers that are committing them. And I think the other issue with that is we also know that now, you know, we're in the election, but we've been in an election mode in Melbourne for the last 12 months. We're in a federal election mode. so So we're getting very unnecessary political kind of... Yeah involvement in, in, in an issue for what I would say are political motives rather than actual sincerity of wanting to do something about the issue at hand. Thank you. That's actually a, a great way of, of explaining that. Can you elaborate on that? What does that mean to uh, you in practice? Uh, in practice, well, what that means to, to you know us in an organisation and the communities we work with is that there are a very small number of young people engaged in these crimes. And yes, some of them are very horrific. Yeah. Uh, you know, people are scared and they're getting involved. 
So therefore, rather than focusing on that group and trying to work out why we have this group of very disengaged, angry young men predominantly engaging in quite violent crimes and wanting to support the community in them to turn that around, what's happened is that it's splattered all over, you know, mainstream newspaper and media and a whole lot of a whole lot of young people who aren't engaged in crime and are trying to just lead a normal adolescent young person's life are getting caught up in this hype. So we have a lot of young people who now feel really scared to get on trains, on trams. They're walking the street and people cross the road. When they oh. see them, they go into shops and sometimes they don't get served if they're going into, you know, a 7-Eleven or a store where they're buying something because people are really scared. So I think that's what it's created, a real sense of unnecessary fear that goes well beyond the issue. It's really interesting what you're talking about, um, Carmel, because what you're describing sounds like something out of the 1800s, you know, like the colonial experience with the early settlers. And yet yeah, it's look, 2018. Yeah, I think, you know, I think the issue there is the um, the danger there is yeah. in um, actually trying to harness the community to want to do something about this issue within a climate where people don't want to have a conversation about what's really going on. So people like me are not afraid in our organisation to say we need to think differently about supporting groups of young people who are feeling really disempowered and locked out of society, but you can't have that conversation in a toxic political environment where you know, you have ministers like, you know, Minister Dutton saying that people are scared to go out to restaurants, which is completely ridiculous. Yes. To, you know, then say, well, actually, some people are scared, and I know they are from my own family, who um, have never had their house burgled, know nobody who has, but read the Herald Sun and think that they're likely to be the next house that is. So you can't have a serious policy conversation about how do you deal with issue at hand, but also deal with the public narrative. Absolutely, absolutely. And and I would go, uh, correct me here, but I would go so far as to say that this is in some ways racial profiling or institutional racism or both. Yeah, look, you know, this the um, racial profiling issue is a really complex one because my, deal, yes. my dealings with senior elements of Victoria Police, I do really believe that they're trying to handle this issue really sensitively. And yes. I think they handled it quite well during that funeral. But yes, I agree that on the ground, you know, there are, you know, elements of local police who are dealing with these young people who have, who don't have the same level of response as maybe some of their senior members of the police force have. So there's a disconnect, I think, between the policy and its implementation. I think we need to look at things not as attacking individual, but more in systemic, you know, and and to have a look at the fact that it's so important, isn't it, to have um, training, cultural training, for police, yep. and you, you're probably aware of the work that Flemington Kensington Community yep. Legal Centre's done yep. in yep. regards to that, and and it's important to look at police accountability. But I think my concern, just picking up from where you left off before about the how people, the young people, are scared to go into shops, yep. and that it's only a small number of people committing crimes. We have to stop that demonisation. How can we stop that? Oh, look, that's such a complex issue, isn't it? I think that I'm hoping that after this election, whatever the outcome is, that there will be a a, um, changing of environment because I think it has been fueled politically. 
I think, secondly, we need some leadership in the community on this issue for this to be challenged. Like, the federal government should not be allowed to be coming out and saying those things without being challenged, and I don't think there's been enough of that. And then I think, thirdly, we also need all of us who are concerned about this to reach out to other people in our extended networks, and I do that with my own social network and family and really educate people and sort of talk to them about, have you actually ever said hello? Do you know an African family? Have you met a young person? If not, why don't, you know, have you smiled? Have you reached out to them? So that some of that starts at a really local community level in your own neighbourhood, that I think we need something really across community that gets people to think about this issue. Absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm hoping that we can find a way for to challenge the federal government and the High Court about some of these issues. I'm wondering if there's, a, you know, legislation. I know we're not lawyers here. Yeah. But, but I'm wondering if we can find a way to take the government to court about this stuff. Look, I'm not quite sure about that, but I certainly know that if we have people engaging in kind of really negative racist comments in a public environment, whether it's in the newspaper, on radio, or people who hold positions of power, that we should be challenging because there is legislation there that we should be using already. Absolutely. So I think, that, so I think that's what we need to be mindful of is holding people account with the legislative frameworks we already have in place because they are pretty good, but I don't know whether we've actually utilised them to their fullest. And I'm hoping we can do that. And that's why we've got 3CR because... Um, yeah, absolutely. 3CR is a radio station that um, helps people that are deprived of a voice. Hence, this is why we're having you on. No, absolutely. And I think that we need um, more people like yourselves in different forums talking about these issues. It's what's really important too, that we need your 3CR listeners talking to other people who don't listen to 3CR because I think that's the biggest challenge we've got. Absolutely. Carmel, thank you so much for coming oh, on the program. Pleasure. And it's lovely to have you. This is your first time on, I believe. Yes, it is. It is. It's and it's, it's really exciting to have a new contact and I'm hoping that we can have you on, you know, as, as a regular, regular um, person for interviews. No, absolutely. I'd love to um, keep in touch with you. That'd be lovely. Thanks a lot, Carmel. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. And that was Carmel Gurara um, speaking um, she is the CEO of the Centre for Multicultural Youth and um, we're going to be speaking next with um, Lucy Honan from the Refugee Action Collective about um, a recent rally that occurred on Saturday and it was the rally for the, for the kids, the asylum seeker children um, getting off Nauru and other related issues. And just a quick comment um, in regards to Carmel, um, that it, it was actually quite quite um, refreshing to hear her perspectives on how we can actually overcome that demonisation of African youth. You've got to remember, NAINOP's a special day for us, fellas. That's a reminder who we are. Every year for NAIDOC Week, 3CR Community Radio gives voice to our Indigenous brothers and sisters through Beyond the Bars, Australia's only live prison broadcast. I am a black, black man. NAIDOC means a lot to me. It's about identity and also about past and present. NAIDOC means a lot to me for my family and my people. And the people forgetting about our rights. 
You can access audio from current and past Beyond the Bars broadcasts via the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars and either listen to or download audio from Australia's only live prison broadcast. Happy night off! And you're back with the Doing Time show. And we've got Lucy Honan next from the Refugee Action Collective. Hello, Lucy. Welcome to the program. Hi, Marissa. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to have you. Um, now, Lucy, it's been uh, quite an interesting roller coaster ride, hasn't it, lately? Absolutely. The last couple of weeks have been huge in refugee rights. Yeah. Yep. Well, lack of. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's right. But there's been a lot of political movement. Um, over the last little while. I think the momentum around getting the kids off Nauru has uh, punctured the mainstream in a huge way. Yeah, can you talk about that? Can you tell us a little bit of background and just give a report back on the rally for Saturday? Sure. Okay, so um, I, I think probably lots of your listeners would know about the big kids off Nauru campaign that's been spearheaded by World Vision, but lots of different organisations have got behind it. Um, calling for the government to release the kids on Nauru by Universal Children's Day, which is the 20th of November. And so there's enormous momentum um, behind that demand about getting the kids off. And on Saturday, Refugee Action Collective called a rally as part of that movement, and we were calling for kids off, but all off um, Nauru. So not just the kids. Definitely the kids need to come off because... Um, as, as the campaign has, has shown and as the, you know, the 6,000 doctors have described and the, you know, the people who have been expelled from Nauru, the doctors who have been thrown off Nauru have said there is an enormous uh, mental health crisis with the kids on Nauru. Um, there's a, a syndrome called resignation syndrome where um, essentially children are, are giving up on life. Um, you know, they're not walking, talking, eating, they've... they've um, come into into catatonic state so um that that's that's just really devastating and and australia's responsibility australia has done that to those kids um so there is a lot of momentum as i said around getting those kids off nauru um our rally was about i reckon there were about two thousand people there and it was really great just huge energy just enormous enormous enthusiasm um and anger at the government that they won't move on this issue um, and what we talked about at the rally and, and the speakers addressed is A, the kids, the issue of the kids, B, the issue of everyone, because what is being done to the kids is being done to the adults. Uh, Twelve people have been killed in offshore detention already, um, adults, and, you know, it's it's horrific what's been done to everybody there. Um, but we also talked about the fact that, you know, there is, because of the momentum around this issue, we've had three liberal crossbenchers come out and say that they don't want their government looking up kids anymore. Um, we've seen with the by-election in Wentworth, a liberal stronghold gone to Karen Phelps, yeah. who said that her first top priority is getting the kids off Nauru. Um, and Labor has, you know, made some small gestures in the direction of that as well. So we wanted to send a really strong message to Labor, um, as well as the government, obviously, but Labor can take the initiative right now. They don't need to wait until an election. Labor could take the initiative right now and support Andrew Wilkie's bill, which says get the kids off Nauru and their families immediately. And with the support of the three crossbenchers, Karen Phelps and the independents, that could happen. 
you know that that we don't need to wait for an election that could happen um but we need we need labor to commit to it um and that's the missing link so we really now is the time and what we we saw over the weekend was really amplifying that pressure and that um that demand I believe also that um, I, we can we can safely describe that there's a medical emergency on Nauru, and there is a concern that the coalition government's undertaking legal action aiming to deny Australian courts the right to make decisions about transferring children to Australia for treatment. Exactly right. And also the other concern is that um, the Morrison government um, is using children, I believe, as political footballs to try and get Parliament to pass the lifetime ban on refugees from Manus or Nauru ever coming to Australia. Can you comment on that? Yeah, so we saw that horse trading around rights um, a little earlier last week um, where uh, the Morrison government kind of made gestures to say, well, maybe, you know, we would would look at the New Zealand option of allowing the refugees to go to New Zealand if, um, you know, Labor would reinstate the lifetime ban on on refugees ever coming to Australia. Labor has previously and quite rightly voted against that ban. They've said it's discriminatory. There's no reason for anyone to be banned from Australia. It's It's a racist bill, and that was right for them to vote against it. Um, but Morrison was trying to, you know, pressure pressure Labor and say, well, you're the reason, you know, you're what's standing in the way of of those kids getting off Nauru. Uh, Labor responded, and and it was unnecessary. It was a totally unnecessary concession for the reasons that I've gone over. Um, they could they could get the kids off to Australia immediately if they wanted to. But uh, Labor conceded, okay. Uh, if we if we put the lifetime ban just on the refugees who make it to Na'a, to New Zealand, um, not a total ban on all refugees who are on Manus and Nauru, um, you know, would you accept that? And the Morrison government said no. Uh, we wouldn't accept that. So, you know, there's this this focus on what rights can be traded away in order to, you know, compromise in order to get the, the kids to... Um, New Zealand um, as a matter of urgency. Um, and from Refugee Action Collective's point of view, this is, um, you know, really an unnecessary distraction and compromise on human rights. Um, what what needs to happen and what, what is the fastest route to safety for those children, both politically and, you know, practically speaking, um, is for Labor to support Wilkie's bill um, to get the kids to Australia. You know, Lucy, this just reminds me of the process of colonisation. You probably, listeners may recall, and you will recall, I think, that from 1788 onwards, that Aboriginal people were not always had to ask permission to go somewhere or were not allowed and Mm. actually had travel bans reinstated in the same way that... Um, the government is is wanting to put a lifetime ban on asylum seekers going to Australia. What right does the Morrison government have to go yeah. censoring people and stopping them from travelling where yeah. they need to go? Yeah. It's no, despicable. Exactly. It's, it's ridiculous. But, you know, there are so many layers of madness to Australia and I think you're right about the, the connection to colonisation uh, because there's this bizarre imperialist role that Australia is playing around this issue as well. I mean, Australia keeps saying that they have nothing to do with what's happening on Nauru. And yet when it comes to allowing refugees to accept the deal that New Zealand is offering, 
Uh, so to travel from Nauru to New Zealand, Australia is the country that's intervening and saying, no, you can't do that, not unless we put all these conditions on it, not unless Labor agrees to ban you from Australia forever. Um, so Australia's role, it's very much throwing its weight around in, in the region that we're living in and dictating, you know, the movement of people and saying who can go where and when and why and who can't, especially come to Australia. And, of course, they're not white, most exactly of them. Exactly right. Well, that's, that's, that's the elephant in the room, isn't it? This is just such a, such a racist, discriminatory policy. And we've heard Peter Dutton go on and on about the needs of the white South Africans. But when it comes to the people in our region who really need help because of genocide and, you know, the wars that they're fleeing, it's another story because they're not white. And I, and I think it's also um, engendering that climate of fear you know, where you hear the doctors um, who are helping the refugees and indeed um, their medical care is ex- non-existent now on Nauru, even though uh, Abbott says it's a pleasant place. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, the doctors are panicking and saying, well, look, if that's all that can be done, you know, maybe they shouldn't go to Australia. Let's get them off and let them go to New Zealand. But that's a compromise. No justice, no peace. Yeah, I mean, I think from a lot of the... It's important to recognise that for a lot of refugees on Manus and Nauru, they want to go to New Zealand. You know, their perception of Australia is the... You know, it's the country that's held them hostage for a long time. So, understandably, a lot of... Um, a lot of the refugees and asylum seekers are kind of like, well, yep, I want to go to New Zealand. Um I, I guess from Refugee Action Collective's point of view, whoever wants to go to New Zealand should absolutely be allowed to go to New Zealand. But the thing that's standing in the way of the freedom for these people is not, you know, the um, acceptance of a lifetime ban. It's really Labor's failure to put up some opposition to um, to the horror that's going on. And I really want to emphasise that point because now the numbers are so finely balanced in Parliament. Um, Labor has... The initiative it can take the initiative yeah. we've seen Herald Sun uh, sorry Daily Telegraph in Sydney the front page of it said that people 80% of people want kids off and going to New Zealand now I don't think that that is hard to translate especially if Labor gets on board to say that those kids should come to Australia Labor can take that momentum run with it uh, and make it happen in an instant and meanwhile back at the ranch nothing is happening yeah, that's right. And just a quote from the recent media release put out by the Refugee Action Collective, Morrison used the same tactics over children on Christmas Island to pressure Clive Palmer and Vic- Ricky Muir to back temporary protection visas, which now sees 30,000 refugees in limbo in Australia. That's right, yeah. And we've seen this story before, as people were saying at the rally on Saturday. Um, you know, this was the Liberals' trick. They, they said, we'll get the kids off Christmas Island, uh, but we need to pass temporary protection visas. And, you know, there were people calling Ricky Muir, crying and saying, please, please, we're desperate. Just let us off the island. Sign this deal so we can get off. Um, you know, and advocates as well brought into, brought into the deal. But the price that has been paid is years of insecurity and future insecurity for 30,000 people. And that was unnecessary. You know, that again, it is unnecessary. If Labor steps up, sticks to its guns, prosecutes the argument, takes a lead, then we are not in this horrific position of trying to horse trade away human rights. Lucy, thank you so much for coming onto the program. It's been lovely to have you. Um, we like to, to have the um, Refugee Action Collective on regularly. Um, and we also interview Ian as well from New South Wales. Speaking of, of New South Wales, um, I believe there was a rally also in Sydney as well. 
Yeah, that's right. That's right. Marisa, do you mind if I give a plug for a Teachers for Refugees yes, Action as well? Yes, you just beat me to it. Thank you, Lucy. Go oh, ahead. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, so Teachers for Refugees have called a walkout. Um, we consider that it is, and I'm a teacher as well and involved in Teachers for Refugees, and we are consider that it is such an emergency and such a catastrophic situation that it's time for us to escalate our actions as well. Um, so we are walking out of work um, on November the 20th, which is Universal Day of the Child, if um, the demand of kids off, all off, hasn't been met. Um, and we would really like, A, teachers' support. So if you're a teacher, get involved, have a look on Teachers for Refugees' website, uh, Facebook page. Um, and find out how to get involved. This is an event that's been endorsed by the Australian Education Union Victoria. Um, and if you're a parent or a guardian or somebody who's connected with the school, please ring up your school principal or the education department or the regional directors and let them know that you really support the teachers at that school that you're connected with um, taking that action. And we really welcome anyone who wants to come and show support. 2.30pm on the 20th of November, uh, we'll be there together um, standing up for, for getting the kids off and getting everybody off Manus and Nauru. Thank you, Lucy. And what location is that? State Library, 2.30pm, 20th of November. Thank you so much, Lucy. So, um, yeah, any listeners that are free on that day, rock up. And if you're a teacher, walk out. Excellent. Thanks, Marissa. Thanks a lot, Lucy. Talk again. Take Bye. care. Bye-bye. And that was Lucy Honan from the Refugee Action Collective speaking about um, the emergency, medical emergency on Nauru and, uh, and, and looking at um, lots of issues in regards to refugees and asylum seekers. We have had many interviews today and I, it's been quite intense, so I'm going to actually play some music. Um, it's by Paul Kelly, the song, and it's called Don't Let a Good Thing Go. 2018 Autonomy and Resistance Gathering, a three-day conference on Indigenous and grassroots struggles across Latin America, Asia Pacific and beyond. Topics include decolonisation, land defence from multinationals, autonomy and self-determination, prisons and criminalisation, visions for development beyond neoliberal capitalism, colonialism and patriarchy. Speakers including Christy Lee Horsewood from the Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance, Mariki Onis from the Jafarong Embassy, Bazak Gell, Kurdish activist from the Kurdish Democratic Community Centre and much more. November 2nd, 3rd and 4th at Trades Hall in Melbourne, Nam. For more information, look up Autonomy and Resistance Gathering 2018 on Facebook. Proud 3CR supporter. And you're back with the Doing Time show. It's approximately 4.54 and we're nearing the end of our show. I just wanted to thank our numerous guests today on the show. Thank you, first of all, to Sam Watson, who's a regular um, a regular person on our show. Thank you to, to Carmel um, as well from the Centre of Multicultural Youth. Um, thank you to her. And also to Lucy Honan from the Refugee Action Collective. Just wanted to also clarify the names of those songs for all the people that love music. Um, but It's called Don't Let a Good Thing Go by Paul Kelly featuring Dan Sultan. And I wanted to, to add that as well. And then you heard a song by Tracy Chapman and that was called Cross the Lines. And, yeah, that was quite an appropriate song given the material that we covered on today's Do and Dime show. Um, thank you to Hannah, um, the communications officer for organising Carmel. 
Thanks to Rob for um, producing the show and for helping the tech stuff run smoothly. It's approximately 4.55. We're going to be going out pretty soon with our our um, our theme song, Blackfella, Whitefella, and we've got Beyond Zero up next, That who will be fantastic as usual. Um, we've got about two minutes left. I'll, I'll just go... Actually, there's not really time to go into an announcement, but... Yeah, so stay on tuned every Monday from 4 to 5 for the Doin' Time show. And next Monday, we're hoping to interview Dr. Olivia, sorry, not Olivia, um, Dr. Felicity, sorry, um, from the Eleanor Clinic. And there's been quite a, a few articles in the Star Weekly and other um, newspapers about the medical emergency on Nauru. And we're going to be speaking specifically to a doctor who helps refugees and asylum seekers. And I'm hoping that we can bring you that very special interview um, next Monday. So so stay tuned for that. Um, okay, well, it's goodbye from Marissa. And we'll be, um, as I said before, Tune in every Monday from 4 to 5 for um, the Doing Time show. And we'll go out now with our theme song, Blackfella, Whitefella from the Rumpy Band. Okay, thank you and stay tuned. Take care.